So Matt, what do you call a deer that has lost both of its eyes? Uh, I don't know. No idea. <laughs> You're welcome. Dang it. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And I'm sick. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, sicko. Yeah, <laughs> I am sick. Yes, it's, it's going to be like Groot. Does you know? I'm going to sound <laughs> yeah. like him, and that's all I'm going to say. Is I'm sick. Right. It's funny because Adam is usually always the one that's sick. He's got some horrible malady that he's going to tell you about. Right. This week it's me. Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> and I could I could feel it. I could feel it on Monday morning. I was like, this is not going to go well. And it's gradually gotten worse. I'm actually a little bit better now than I was this morning. Right. But so uh, yeah, Adam texts me this morning and he's like, we still good for tonight? It's like 630 in the morning. And I'm like, I hope so. So <laughs> I've done. And Adam's given me like all these herbal remedies to help with this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm so like, we're, we'll, we're going to give it a go. Now, here's some tea and here's some golden seal to get you through and all this. And, you know, we, we do have a new interface. We're running through a new in- interface tonight, but th- it's not making Matt sound baritone and gravelly. That's, right. That's, that's, that has nothing to do with it. That's built in right now. Yeah. So just <laughs> so, sit back and imagine Sam Elliott. Right. You there you go. <laughs> so like, like I said, we're using a new interface this week. So, which means that 2019 is going to be the year of us being able to do interviews. Yeah. So it will be really cool. We'll be able to get some, you know, cool guests in here to talk about the topics that we discuss and all that. So uh, yeah. be prepared and we, and for that. We won't have to be face to face with them. Right. We won't have to bring them here or go to them. They can call in. The audio will be good. And it just opens up a lot of doors. See, we told y'all we had some big stuff coming. Right. And it it's here. It's here. Um, you know, bear with us on the first couple episodes that we have with this new interface because it is different. The editing is going to be different and all that. So, you know, it, it may be not the smoothest transition in the world, but bear with us. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be good. I promise. Yep. Um, but Matt, on that note, let's take a quick break and then let's get right back into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the campfire. We're your hosts of the Creepy Campfire podcast, Ryan and Jordan. We've got UFO sightings, Bigfoot, creepy ghost ships, you name it. We got it. You can find us on any of your podcast providers. So come on in and join the campfire. Stay toasty. All right, Matt, we're back. So tell us, what are we talking about tonight? Ah, Perry, the city of lights, home of the Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre, and so much more. 
As you walk these streets, your senses are flooded with the smell of French cuisine, the sound of music and romance. But with every footstep, you trot across more than just cobblestone. Deep below you, in the vast darkness, lie the bones of centuries of past Parisians. With every turn, you stand above a vast network of tunnels, some of which have yet to even be explored. Tonight, Adam and I don our berets, scarf down a few baguettes, and venture into the Paris catacombs. Quite poetic of you. <laughs> so, and you say uh, berets, and, and when I was in high school band, I played a tuba. Wearing and, a beret? Yes, we had to wear berets because the normal like marching band hat wouldn't fit under the bell of the tuba. So I just recently found my beret from high school marching band. I should have worn it tonight. Absolutely. But I didn't think about it till just now. Well, so I failed and I'm sorry. At least you've got your baguette. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so like Matt said, there are, you know, a lot of underground spaces under Paris. And you will hear us just on a side note, you'll hear us butcher uh, a lot of words tonight and we apologize in advance. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take French in high school. No, I took I, Latin. Yeah. That's why I'm so good at summoning demons. Apparently, apparently I so. had no idea, <laughs> <laughs> but so by the 17th century, there were enough people that had lived and died in Paris that its cemeteries were overflowing. They had, you know, overstuffed graves to the point that corpses at times would become uncovered. So quite unsanitary. That's a bad situation that, right there. Real bad situation. So the solution that came up was to place them in tunnels that existed beneath the streets of Paris that had been there since the 13th century. And these were from when the limestone quarries were down there, when limestone was being pulled out to build the buildings that are around Paris. And, you know, this was a thing that happened many different cultures from around the world and many different places where if there was limestone, they didn't necessarily just dig out all of the earth and, you know, pull it up in a big quarry like we do today because they needed the ground to build on. So they would, you know, dig into the limestone and dig down and then start making tunnels and pulling this rock out that way and leaving the ground above, but just creating this vast network of tunnels just intertwining with each other and everything. So, so they were they were they were mining the yes. limestone essentially. Yeah, pretty much. Um it, it was a limestone mine, you know, without question. Um, but by the time they ended with burying people in these tunnels, there were six million bone uh six million people's worth of bones down in the tunnels so multiply that by 206 and right six million times 206 a lot of bones who's got a calculator i don't have a calculator but those living in the leal neighborhood near les innocent um which is the oldest and largest cemetery um in paris they were the first ones to complain about the cemetery. They said it it exuded a strong smell of decomposing flesh, 
And even the perfume stores claim they couldn't do business because of that smell. I figured they'd do more business. Now, well, they <laughs> people buying it up to try to cover up the stink. Probably at first they did, but then they were like, it's not doing any good. Why am I wasting my money? That's right. So everybody around the cemetery was complaining. Now, in 1763, Louis the 15th, and tell you how bad I am at Roman numerals, I had to write out 15 <laughs> because I know it, but it would have taken me a second. <laughs> so it would have been more like Louis the X. Well, we're not writing a research paper here. So. No, that's true. So I've got <laughs> it's fair game. Exactly. So in 1763, Louis XV issued an edict banning all burials from occurring inside the capital. But because of the church's pushback, they didn't want any of the cemeteries disturbed. Nothing else was really done about it. Now, Louis XVI, his predecessor, continued this crusade. And he also proclaimed that all cemeteries should be moved outside of Paris. So not just new people, not the newly dead, but the long dead too, should be moved outside of Paris. Now, there were so many tunnels, and, and it was such an extensive just mass of tunnels under there that it actually began to fall under the weight of the city in 1777. So the king had an architect named Charles, and it looks like Axel to me, so I'm going to say Axel. I think it's Axel. Charles Axel Guillemot. And he was given this task of stabilizing all of the subterranean mines. And, you know, it was one of those things that it's like, well, how, how are you going to stabilize all of these mines underneath the city? With the technology of 1777. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, no pressure, right? Yeah. You know, well, despite all of that, Guillemont actually pulled it off without much of hassle. So by 1785, the tunnels were fully stable. He had fixed it by. Wonder what he did. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't find everything that he did. I'm sure a lot of it was shoring up the sides and putting in buttresses and stuff. But, yeah. you know, when we get into talking about the tunnels now, you don't see many of these additions to the tunnel. Like, it's not like you can go through there and you see a, a you know, load-bearing wall that right, Guillemont yeah. put up or anything. You know, it, it whatever he did, it kind of blends in with the terrain down there. In 1780, we're kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit. There was a prolonged period of spring rain, and this caused the walls of Le Innocent to collapse. And Dallas squeaks his toy. (laughs) Very good emphasis, Dallas. That that was the worst sound effect for (laughs) walls collapsing. And the walls collapsed. (laughs) Yeah, Dallas. Very anticlimactic. You need to work on your Foley work. (laughs) Um, But the wall collapsed and it spilled out a whole bunch of rotting corpses into the neighboring property there. How pleasant. Oh, yeah, it was great. So at that point, they decided, screw it. We're now starting moving all the bodies into the, the tunnels. Yeah. So 
cemeteries began to be emptied in 1786, and they started with Les Innocents, since they were having so much trouble with that one anyway. It took the city 12 years to move all of the bones. And it was, they said, ranging from 6 to 7 million bodies down into the catacombs. And it was done fairly unceremoniously. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it, they didn't have a big parade or anything for it. You they, know? they did have a priest, you know, that would pray mm-hmm. over the bones when they brought them in. Right. But the the transport was. Yeah. Put them in a. Throw them in a wagon. Put them in a wagon. Carry them down there. Yeah. I mean. Well, how, I mean, how else are you going to do it? If if they'd have, if they'd have tried to do it some other way, it would have taken them. They'd still be 12, doing it. twelve more years yeah. at least. Uh, they'd still be working on filling it up. <laughs> God, can you imagine? Um, so some of the oldest bones that were in these cemeteries date back as far as the Merovingian era, which, if you don't know, that's about twelve hundred years ago. So some of these people had been buried twelve hundred years ago, and they're gravesite is being disturbed and moved down into the catacombs. Now, I would have to think that at that point it it's it's probably pretty good that they didn't have the modern technology we have today to seal a casket and preserve a body. Right. They were right. put essentially in a pine box and mm-hmm. put in the ground. So at least some of those two, three hundred year old bodies were pretty decomposed. They right. just had to deal with bones. And I know that sounds kind of uh, crude, and but I mean, imagine this is the kind of stuff that can only happen if you have a king. Sure. Okay. You know, you're not dealing with any kind of parliament, a bunch of votes. King just says, "I want all these bodies put in these tunnels." Yep. Exactly. Okay. You got it, boss. And we're going to start. Yep. So you can imagine if you're that schmuck that has to go out there and go, we got to start moving these bodies. Mm-hmm. Man, I hope we don't yep. find anything too gross down well, And you would think, uh, you know, using that logic that you would start with some of the oldest. Oh, yeah. You know, that, yeah. that way maybe by the time you got done with all the old ones, the newer ones would, you know, have got gotten to a point past putrefaction. Yeah. You know, um, because you're right. If it had been now, if we have to dig up one of our cemeteries and move it now with the embalming process and everything, that doesn't completely halt the the putrefaction process. It slows it down a lot, and it does halt it in some ways. Yeah. So it could be down there 10 years, and there would still be decay happening, and you might end up with a, a soupy mess that you were having to deal with rather than just dry bones. Yeah. So, yep. It, Matt brings up a valid point. It's great that, you know, they didn't have the, <laughs> the burial technology that we have now. That's right. But beginning during the French revolution, the dead were buried directly in the catacomb ossuaries. So it wasn't, you know, like they'd put them in the ground first and then move them over there. They just started burying directly into the catacombs. Now, the city stopped moving bones into the ossuaries in about 1860. Um, So that was the last time that any bones were actually put down there. When the bones of the dead were first being taken down into the tunnels, uh, 
like Matt said, by cart. They were simply placed into the tunnels, um, and that was after a priest would say a prayer to keep the dead at peace. So that was about as far as it went. They brought them down there, a priest prayed, and then they just kind of piled them. Yeah. You know, here here's a pile of bones, here's a pile of bones, here's a pile of bones. But slowly, you know, the quarrymen decided to line the walls with the tibias and femurs, and they would punctuate it ever so often with a skull. And so that kind of formed the basis of most of the decorations that tourists will see today. Um, and we will post some pictures of, I, I um, saved some photos that are of the underground catacombs. And all I can say is, man, I wish my house looked like that. <laughs> that I'm working the, on it. But the most gruesome Lego set ever. What, that would be awesome. Over six million pieces. Yeah, I've got to talk to Lego and get like a, a you know, they've got Star Wars <laughs> kits. Let's have an. Well, yeah. Well, you can build like, you know, the Empire State Building and the, mm-hmm. the, the Sydney Opera House. All right, come out with the Paris Catacombs version. Right. Or let's just call it the Graveyard Tales edition of there Legos. There you go. And it will be bones, and you build a house of bones, you know? Yeah, why not? But kind of both out of just a whimsical nature and to kind of convey, you know, deeper religious messages, they also started to arrange the bones in various shapes. Like they would do hearts, circles, and like death heads. So they got bored. That pretty much. Pretty much. So <laughs> these people were probably my kin. I'm probably <laughs> descendant from these people. Um, they erected a sign which serves as a commemorative plaque um, and then carved arrows into the ceiling so that some of the first people that would visit the catacombs on a tour didn't really lose their way. You know, Um but keep in mind, some of these first tours, you were down there by candlelight. Mm-hmm. You were in an underground passage lined with bones of six to seven million people, and you were looking at it by candlelight. How cool would that be? That Depends just, on who you are. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> cool for me, then. It's cool or it's creepy as hell. Yeah. It's one or the other. Right. There's no in-between. <laughs> Not really. I mean, you can't really go down there and be like, meh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't call for that reaction. That's true. That's true. There, You will have a visceral reaction one way or another. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. There's, I, I don't think any teenagers could go down there because teenagers just live their life as a meh, meh, yeah. meh. You know, they couldn't do it, but... Sorry, that was a bash at teenagers. (laughs) Plenty of them try. That's true, which we'll get into. Um, One of the more iconic displays that is down there is known as the barrel. And it consists of a large circular pillar that's surrounded by skulls and tibia, which also act as the support for the roof of the area in which it's housed. And this area is referred to as the Crypt of Passion or the tibia rotunda. <laughs> tibia rotunda. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in order to kind of 
try to draw in more visitors um, over the years, various exhibitions were installed in the catacombs. And these included a room that showcased skeletons with various deformities, as well as a room displaying the types of minerals that were found when the tunnels were being excavated. So it was kind of turning into a museum of sorts. But neither of these you can see now. They've dismantled those exhibitions. Um, There were actually goldfish that were brought down into the catacombs and dropped into a little pool that was called the Samaritan Fountain. Now, the fountain collects groundwater a lot, so it's still a feature of the catacombs, but there's no more fish. No. Um, You know, believe it or not, fish don't like being underground that much unless they're cave-dwelling fish. You know, you can't just put a goldfish down there in a underground lake and go, hey, good luck, you know. Um, (laughs) I've seen some people's aquarium that wouldn't wouldn't hold up to the standards of the underground pond. That's a valid point. (laughs) That's a valid point. One of the the most enduring uh, catacomb exhibit is a series of stone carvings that were created by this kind of mysterious figure called... Um, I think it's de cure or de cure. Um, yeah, I think you're close. D E C U R E. Um, if you know how that's pronounced, please let me know. Um, he was a veteran of the French army and he had spent a lot of time in Menorca when the French annexed, um, the Island from the British. Now, when he wasn't helping his fellow quarrymen stabilize the tunnels, he would carve renderings of the citadel of Mahone as well as other important buildings from that island and they're just you know one of those things that you don't expect when you're down there yeah you don't expect to come across a beautiful carved artwork in the walls of these catacombs now he was killed in a rock fall while working in the catacombs and there's no real word of where he was buried yeah, now what I found was that he was building a staircase so that people could come down there and see oh, okay. his carvings. Right. And during the, the the building of the staircase, there was a collapse. Okay. And it killed him. Okay. I didn't see that, but that you know, that fits along with the story. I so. actually that actually came about watching a video tour. Of the catacombs oh, okay. with an actual tour guide. Okay. So that you could you could kind of experience what you would if you were there and you took the, the tour that's open to the public. Right. And, you know, you're listening, and that's, thank God it had subtitles. I mean, she's speaking English, but I think I could have probably understood her better if she was actually speaking French. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, that accent is killing me. Yeah. Um, so in the 19th century, there was a... Parisian named Monsieur Chambéry. Um, he ventured down into the tunnels and he saw this patch of wild mushrooms kind of growing within one of the chambers. And he decided to use the abandoned tunnels to begin growing his own little white button mushrooms. So there was a practice that uh, that kind of grew out of that. And it was soon recognized and accepted by the Horticultural Society of Paris. So 
before long, there were farmers from all over that flocked down there to begin farms of their own. Yeah, dark, damp. Yep. Perfect. You got the soil, throw them in there. Um, So mushroom farming in the catacombs became a thriving business venture. Um, In fact, if you know where to look in the catacombs, you can probably still find some people down there that are farming and growing their own mushrooms. I mean, it's still a good place to grow mushrooms. Um, now, now I want to make a point right here. Do it. So you, you've heard Adam talk about you could find, you might find people doing stuff in the catacombs. This is kind of giving you an idea of how immense these tunnels are and how right. deep and how far they go you might run into somebody doing something down there. If you're lucky. I mean, you know, you know the fact that people could have operations going on down there and nobody know it because there's so much. Right. And we'll, we'll touch on some of the crazier things that people have done down there. Uh, but like Matt was saying, it, it's, it's a, maybe it's a might run into these. People yeah. Yeah. Because there's, uh, 200 miles of, and I think, two, yeah, 320 kilometers, 200 miles of tunnels underneath the city. Yeah. So, so the way I, the way I think of mileage perspective is I went to college in Memphis. And so driving from Nashville to Memphis was a pretty routine thing I did for a few years. And that's 200 miles. And that takes about three hours. Three hours. Yep. So just, you know, it's not in a, in a solid straight line, mm-hmm. but just, but then that, that almost makes it more bizarre that there's 200 miles winding around underneath there. Right. So that, that makes it even more complex. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, it's a labyrinth. Even less likely that you would come across another individual. Mm-hmm. You they know, could be stirring around down there. They could be just around the bend and you probably wouldn't hear them because it's big, thick limestone walls. Yeah. Um, but since the existence of the catacombs was common knowledge uh, during World War II, there was no surprise that they were used during the war. Many, you know, many people may be surprised that it was used by both sides, too. Because of the miles of tunnels down there, you could have two opposing sides fighting a war down there together. Yeah. Um, Members of the French resistance were actively using the underground tunnel system to hide out during the war and plan attacks against the Germans. And these catacombs, you know, kind of ensured that they wouldn't be found out. But the Nazis also had a presence within the catacombs, and they built various bunkers all around. And you can still see some in certain places, still see some of the remnants of these bunkers from World War II. Um, Today, there's just a little more than a mile of the catacombs that's open for visitors to legally explore. Um now, like we said, there, there's about 200 miles or 320 kilometers of tunnels under the city 
but most of these areas, it's illegal to visit. And that keeps a lot of them from being mapped by the city or the government or whatever. But that doesn't mean that they aren't mapped, period. Right. Um, there are a lot of, quote, uncharted areas. But again, that's officially uncharted, officially unmapped. Because there are people who like to travel these tunnels. And they're known as cataphiles. And if you do a Google search for cataphiles, one of the first things that will come up is uh, Paris cataphiles. So you can see, you know, everything that they take pictures of down there while they're doing their stuff. So not a picture of somebody's cat with like a mustache or you've got wearing, to, wearing silly hats. You've got to go through several pages <laughs> before you find the, those type of cat files. The, these cataphiles are deeply respectful of both the dead that are in the tunnels and of the tunnels themselves. And they create maps for other people so that they don't get lost within this vast necropolis. Um, they, they're, you know, insiders with this information. So they're not going to give out this information to just anybody. You have to know somebody who knows somebody to be able to get the information of these catacombs. And, you've got to have an end just to get into most of these other places because there's secret entrances and passageways to get to all these other places that the tourist can't go. Um, the cataphiles have been creating and building their own community within all of these tunnels for years. Now, some paint art and they furnish rooms or they'll go down there and they'll party with each other and, you know, they'll have boom boxes and stuff down there walking through the tunnels, blasting the music and basically creating like a big conga line going through these tunnels as they party. And some people, though, they'll just visit to kind of disconnect from the outside world. Just go down there and sit. Because um, there are unmapped pools of water down there that people have made into basically swimming holes where you can just go down there and relax and swim in this underground lake that's basically just flooded tunnels. That's um, weird because it's not exactly hot down there. No, and it it's not exactly clean either. Right. <laughs> you know, there's mold all over the walls, mold and moss and mud all through the floors of it. I say floors, it's just the ground. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's not a clean, pristine environment. So you're you're swimming in something that, in my brain, would would hold microbes and microorganisms that might get you. Yeah, and it's curious. I didn't come across anything. I don't know if you did about no. people becoming sick. No, nope. that frequent the catacombs. I mean, it would make sense. You know, a lot of respiratory illnesses are you know waterborne. Yep. And mold born. I mean, you think about, you know, Legionnaire's disease, you know, standing water is, you know, where that came from. Uh, you don't hear about that. At least I never found anything. And I mean, you know, Adam makes a very good point that this is not, you know, I mean, the, the, the public tour 
you know, looks very nice and mm-hmm. well-kept, but, you know, these cataphiles are not going anywhere near where the public is. No. And, you know, that may also be that they, it's not that they don't get sick. It may be that if they do get sick and they go to the hospital for treatment, they don't tell anybody that they were in the tunnels. True. So it may not be able to be tied to the tunnels. Yeah. You know, but the first thing I thought of when reading this, that people are down there, uh, you know, swimming in these pools and, and eating, because if you look up some of the the pictures, there's people, they've got their lunch spread out and (laughs) a bottle of wine and sandwiches and they're eating on the floor. And, you know, they, they, some, I didn't copy it down in here, but there was a room in there and I don't, I couldn't find if it's still in existence or not, but one of the rooms that they found down in the abandoned tunnels was you kind of walk in through a small door and the room just opens up and they have, they have made a stone table in the middle of this room with seats around it. So you can be sitting there or whatever. And then all the walls are lined with paintings that people have done. You might see a copy of the Mona Lisa that somebody has done and they brought down and hung up in this wall. So it's like their own little art gallery down there and they go down there and they eat and they have tea and, you know, bottles of wine and it's just a hangout for them. But for me, I I feel like that's just germ city. That's waiting for, you know, like you said, Legionnaires to hop on my sandwich and then me come down with Legionnaires disease, you know, but this isn't a new phenomenon. Now, on April 2nd of 1897, there was a group of amateur musicians who staged an impromptu and highly illegal, mind you, concert in the catacombs late at night for about 100 people. One of the shows that they played down there was Chopin's Funeral March. So, <laughs> How apropos. Right? <laughs> um, so there have been cataphiles for several hundred years that yeah. have just enjoyed going down there. In 2004, police were undertaking a training exercise in the catacombs because they, you know, there's police that traverse these looking for people that are in areas yeah. they're not supposed to be. Specific, specifically trained police. Right. They're, I think they're called cataflicks. Yeah. The cataphiles are the ones that want to go down there, and then cataflicks are the ones that go down there to bust you. Flick them out. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Use that mnemonic device, kind of <laughs> flick you out of these tunnels. Um, but they were they were down there performing a training exercise, and they stumbled upon a, a very unexpected sight. Um, it was this secluded area in like the back of one of these tunnels, and they discovered a giant cinema room. Now it was fully equipped. It had a screen, all of the projection equipment a restaurant and bar, and they had a phone installed that they had tapped into the power lines above so that you could call and get buy tickets and find out showing times and come down there and watch in the tunnels. (laughs) Now, on average, the catacombs are 65 feet below the surface. Mm Mm-hmm. Now there there are areas of course that are much deeper. But 
you know, as an average depth, it's around 65 feet. Right. Now, that means that if they were that close to the surface, they had to tap in and get phone phone and electricity mm-hmm. 65 feet down at least. Right. You know, and that goes beyond getting this kind of equipment down there and set up and working properly. Mm-hmm. You know, it took some skill. Oh, sure. These and people, time. They were dedicated to it. Um, and, yeah, and, and time that nobody noticed what you were doing. <laughs> right. Well, once you got under the surface, you had all the time in the world. It was that time above the surface that you were trying to hook into somebody's power line. Well, yeah. You know, I mean. Like either underneath one of the shops, I guess, over there, because you would think if they were tying into an above above your head power line that people would go, what the heck are you doing? You know, so yeah, they, they must have tied into there, a shop. There must, there must have been uh, an unknown entrance very close. Sure, yeah. That nobody knew about. Right. You know, in order to be able to do something like that. Yeah, you would you would cool. think it's cool nonetheless. Right. I, and I would have gone and seen a movie down there. Yeah, not me. I mean, I, I would have bundled myself up in like, you know, hazmat gear to get down to that point, taking a <laughs> take a mask. Well, you take a tub of like Clorox wipes with you <laughs> and just wipe down everything <laughs> you're gonna sit on, you know? And yeah. I'm not gonna eat down there. Sorry. I'm I'll eat before I go. But it's too expensive to eat at a movie theater anyway. That's right. I, can you imagine eating in an underground movie theater? Yeah. It's ridiculous. A tub of popcorn would be like $40. Yeah, instead of popcorn, it was mushrooms. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Would you like a mushroom sandwich or just a bucket of mushrooms? Just, you know, we can put butter on them. We fried them up. Tastes yeah, just right? like popcorn. <laughs> so what was even a little bit weirder than the fact that they had a movie theater down there was that that there was a camera that they had in that room that was snapping photos of the officers during the raid while they were looking at it. Um, they Nobody really knows who was responsible for this. They've never pinned it on anybody, never found anybody. But when the officers came back with reinforcements and they were going to raid the place and try to catch the people, it had been completely packed up disassembled and gone and the only thing left was a note that said do not try and find us so they knew the cops had been down there and in the time that the cops left and came back with reinforcements they had packed it up and got out so yeah probably by the next day you know they were able to get all that stuff down can you imagine how many more police officers they brought with them after coming back to the surface and going, you guys will not believe what we found. Right. So everybody said, well, I want to see this. I want to see yeah. that. They probably came down there with a, with an army of cops that yeah. are like, uh-huh. the whole police force came down there. <laughs> That's right. Was spelunking to go find That's this right. underground movie theater. Remember, they're showing Pulp Fiction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently, they said there was quote, good wine on offer within the depths of these catacombs, too. There was a case in 2017 where a gang of French thieves drilled through the limestone walls of the catacombs into a nearby vault, which was located under an apartment, and it contained around 300 bottles of vintage wine. 
These thieves made off with all of the wine, and it was valued at 250,000 pounds. Dad gum. So they got they got away with a lot of wine, and it was like an Ocean's Eleven type That's thing. That's exactly what I was fixing to say. Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. I but, mean, but you think about that. that. That that really took some planning because you had to figure out, number one, you had to know the wine is in this vault. Right. Then you had to correlate that with these tunnels mm-hmm. to know where you were when you got down there to go, if we drill right through here, we're going to be in this vault. Right, because you could be drilling and come up on nothing, and then you've just wasted however much time it takes to drill through limestone. Yeah. You know? But again, you could be down there doing it, and you may not ever see anybody else. Right. You know? Of course, you know, here you are, you know, walking around with your your little bag lunch, thinking you're going to out here have a piece of lunch, and a dude walks by you with a friggin' auger and mm-hmm. pickaxe and a drill, and you're like, hey, yeah, what's up, man? Yeah. Hey. hey, dude. How's it going? Bonjour. Yeah. So... <laughs> so Adam mentioned the fact that it's illegal to go down into the catacombs other than the public tour. So, so it made me ask the question, is it really illegal? I mean, they, you, they may say it's illegal. You but ask is it that really about illegal? a lot of stuff though. Well, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it's, it's illegal, but is it illegal, illegal? Like, am I going to go to jail for this? Do you just well, frown upon it or like, is this like really illegal, man? Yeah, that's right. So the answer to that is yes and no. You know, since 1955, it's officially been illegal to enter the catacombs from any other entrance other than the one that's open to the public. So that's their official stance. Now, the tours that are available for the public which you can choose to take a guided tour or an unguided tour. But remember, Adam said you're really only exploring a little over a mile. And they're quick to tell you that they have never had anyone get lost in this. I mean, so they, they've got this down. Mm-hmm. But there there's even audio tours you can take. So you can walk through this stuff by yourself. And like I said, it's a little over a mile. So it's not like, you know, you're just kind of crammed in there. I mean, you can get through, and you know, you can kind of make a make a, a day of it. Um, but it's safe, you know. But it's it's when you start venturing away from that is when you start running into some problems. So, as visitors go into the tunnels, now this is from the tour. They pass through a doorway with the heading that says "Aret Se Esi Lumpir." De la More, which is translated to stop. This is the empire of the dead. Now, that was put there back in 1777 when they were doing all this work to fortify these tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, as, as Adam was, I was telling Adam this, I was, he's like, we need that on the door of the graveyard. <laughs> and yep. I was like, that's perfect. It's happening. But it, it was a warning, you know, to, to people of the time that this is what's you're this is a this is a graveyard down here. Right. This is a cemetery. It's not for you. Yeah. It's it's not it, it's not somewhere to just come and visit. You know, even though it would become that to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't what it was intended. Now, once inside, 
you're not allowed to touch any bones or artwork. So if you want to do that, and why would you want to do that? Um, Just finger this skull. Yeah. <laughs> you have to find another way in. And there are, there are entrances to these catacombs all over the city. Mm-hmm. They are hidden. There's entrances they estimate that nobody has ever found. You know, they're, you know, they're covered up by buildings. They're out on the outskirts of town. You know, some of them are right in the middle of town and there's a building sitting on top of it. And you may not even know that it yep. was there. I heard there was one under a fountain. Yeah. Like the fountain in a city square. Yeah. And there was actually an entrance kind of under there and you could like see part of it. Cause it's kind of like a grate. Yeah. You know, so you could see part of it, but nobody knew what it was. They thought it was a drainage ditch. That's right. Know? Manholes. Well, you know, in the middle of the street, we'll go down to the catacombs. So when they, when the police find one of these entrances, they they do the best they can to block it off and and make it unusable. But the cataphiles still find ways to get around that. So it is indeed illegal. But in truth, if you're caught, the fine is really not that steep. I mean, you know, you pay the fine, you go on. I mean, they're not dragging people into jail. For creeping into theirs. But it makes you wonder, why? Why would it be illegal to do this? I mean, it's not illegal to go, you know, spelunking. You know, you, you find some a network of caves, you can go. They may give you some warnings, be like, you better be careful, you know. But it's not illegal. So why why would it be so illegal to do this, you know, in Paris? Well, when you go into the catacombs from an alternate entrance, it does grant you unfettered access to the miles of tunnels that aren't included on the public tour. But there are some pretty significant risks here. These tunnels are a maze. Okay. They, they wind and twist and they intersect and it's easy to get turned around. They go in all directions. Now with little bitty passageways that you may have to actually crawl through to, to get into the next area that might open up into this enormous room where more tunnels branch out from it. It is so easy to get lost. Oh, and did I mention that it's pitch black dark down there? I mean, there's no light. They have not done anything to install lights right. in any other part of, of these catacombs. I mean, these are the areas they tell you don't go. So they're not doing anything that would encourage people to go. Yeah, it's not like Mammoth Cave where you go in Mammoth Cave That's here right. and they've got walkways set up and lights. <laughs> and, a, and a railing. Yeah, yeah. yeah a little uh-huh. railing and yeah. all that. It, they make it easy to get in there and get back out. Yeah, you are crawling into a freaking hole. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. Yep. So you you really are taking your life into your own hands. And you better pack extra batteries for that flashlight because if, you're, if your light quits working – you're pretty much done for. Thou art I mean, screwed, my the, friend. The whole idea that you could find your way out of this confusing network of tunnels in the dark, it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to just, you would have to have done it so many times, you know your route just by memory and feel. Or be a bloodhound and be able to smell yeah. your way out. Yeah. Hell, I can't smell nothing right now. <laughs> and, you know, so if you get lost... Calling for help isn't really a, a decent option either because cell service underground is virtually non-existent. True. Oh, and the water. So 
Many of the tunnels require you to trudge through standing and even sometimes flowing water. And uh, did I mention that under the water, there are holes that go down to even more tunnels that are underneath the tunnels that you're currently walking through. So the network of catacombs that the people access, that's that's not even all of it. Right. There's more underneath you, but they're flooded. Right. So if you're stepping through water, there is a chance that you could step into a hole that is not a few inches deep, but that drops you down into a tunnel below the tunnel you're in, and it's full of water. And then you're dead. And you're dead. Yeah. There ain't no coming back from that. Need to carry a stick to, to poke in front of you to check water depth. That's right. So if the chance of getting lost in a maze of underground tunnels in the dark without the ability to call for help and then the potential of falling through a hole and drowning doesn't frighten you, then by all means, go find a hidden entrance to the catacombs and have a blast. Good luck. Yeah. Wait. But you should at least get a catafile to help you. Sounds reasonable. Don't go by yourself. Right. Because they are the ones, as Adam said, know the tunnels extremely well. Now, you better hope you find a good one. Because not a YouTuber, Nightscape, posted a video of him and his friend who decided they were going to take one of these impromptu illegal tours. So they, they, go, um, they go to Paris, and they find somebody. And they get down in the tunnels, and they're hiking for a good little bit. And this guy apparently has their camera as he's filming them. And then he tells them, I'm going to go around the corner and, and pee. And he just keeps right on going. Hmm. And he abandons them in the tunnels. Good Lord. So now, you know, now they're stuck. Now, to their credit on the video, if if this wasn't all staged, which honestly, it doesn't seem like it was staged. It, it really felt like, these two clowns got screwed. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a long way to go for a That's joke. Right. You know, but they they were there for several hours before they came across another catafile that was exploring the, the the tunnels. Right. And and led them out. You know. Personally, I would have been freaked out. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. But also personally, I would have not gone in because I'm claustrophobic and I'm not going to just researching this would give me kind of the willies. Yeah. Your palms start getting sweaty. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I watched a lot of videos and I'm, I'm watching people get down on their hands and knees and they're crawling through it. I'm like, you're already this far down underground. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to get down and squeeze? What if you get stuck? Dude. Getting stuck is uh, one of my biggest fears. Dude, I, I, I know you've watched <laughs> these shows because I've watched them too, that it, it, people are caving and they're crawling through places that they can barely squeeze through and they're having to like exhale to get through them and take their bag off and all this other stuff. And I start almost hyperventilating from that because to me, it's like, okay, not only am I getting stuck underground, but you know, if I can't get out, I'm done. And there is the weight of the world literally on no top kidding. of me. If anything falls, I'm done. Yeah. And I, I'm not really claustrophobic. But when I see this underground stuff, people squeezing through tiny passages, 
I become claustrophobic real quick. Oh yeah. My butthole puckers, you know, it's, it's like we say, got a pucker factor of 10 on that one. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> got me on the pucker factor. <laughs> yep. But it, it really, I mean, you're sitting there watching it and you start chewing your seat cushion with your butt because yeah. it's just, I mean, that's not to me something smart to do. It, it's just, it's, it's bad. Yeah. So for all these reasons, you know, it's, it's dangerous. You know, it, it, there's so many dangers in and outside of the tunnels. That's why it's illegal. You know, they're, they're really honestly just trying to keep people safe. Yeah, it's kind of nanny state kind of thing. Yeah, you know? but you know, I mean, they're they're not sitting there guarding these entrances. I sure. mean, you know, if if you really want to do it, you can. So, but you know, they're gonna they're not gonna make it easy for you. Right, kind of one of those things. If you then do it and you get lost or hurt or something, they're like, well, we tried to tell them not to do it. Yeah. But, you know, and here's another thing, you, you know, you, if you got all these people that are just randomly going down there, that, that pulls a lot of resources from the city to send rescue parties down there to get these people out. Sure. You know, and, and you know, number one, they don't want to have their citizens in that much danger. Number two, they can't afford to spend all this time dragging people out of the things. I mean, you know, which does happen. Because getting lost in the catacombs is a very real thing. In 2017, two teenagers, ages 16 and 17, were rescued after spending three days in the tunnel. Three days. Nope. Nope. (laughs) So rule number one is if you're going to pull something like this, tell somebody that you're doing it. Exactly. Before you go. Right. You know, let them know. I'm going to do this. So if you don't hear from me in about five hours, you call the police and mm-hmm. tell them I'm in there Yep, and exactly. come get me. It's the same thing. Like we said during the, the missing four one one episode, if you're going to be out in the wilderness, if you're going to be doing anything with by yourself or with you and another person or two, let somebody know. Yeah. But, you know, ha- have somebody that knows where you're at so they can check on you. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a no-brainer to me. I don't know. But the when they were found, the teens had to be treated for hypothermia, but were otherwise okay. Now, the tunnels stay roughly 59 degrees Fahrenheit, and they're damp. So it's not exactly freezing, but it's definitely an unpleasant way to spend three days. Can you imagine mm-hmm. swimming in that? No. I mean, 60-degree weather here is not swimming weather. No. No. You know? Because the, the water, even, I mean, if you think about your fish tank, the water at 75 degrees is cooler than you are. So That's right. So if you spend time in that, it will start dropping your core temperature. That's right. That's right. At 50-something degrees, that can create hypothermia. Yeah. And it did for these kids. So bones and water and darkness may not be all you encounter in the catacombs, though. Um, some visitors believe that spirits haunt the catacombs going so far as calling it a gateway to hell. Now, cataphiles typically do not buy into these stories, but there is said to be one particular spirit who protects those that enters the tunnel. Now, Philibert Aspar worked as a hospital doorman in Paris during the French revolution 
On November 3, 1793, he descended into the catacombs from a hospital entranceway. Now, that just gives you another idea of where all these entrances are. This one was in a hospital. Right. Finds a stairwell and just says, what's down here? But he had an idea of what might be down there Mm -hmm. because he was a little bit of a drinker. And Philibert was on a mission to find this highly renowned bottle of liquor that was supposedly stored in the basement of a nearby convent. Okay. So he was going to try to get him a little taste. So when uh, Philibert's candle burned out, he became hopelessly lost. He said, ah, crap. Yeah. He said, (laughs) however you say, oh, crap in French. He said it. And his body was found and buried 11 years later. Good grief. Now he's honored as a protector of the cataphiles, and his spirit is said to haunt the catacombs every year on November 3rd. Now, you would think that with all of these bones and all the history, all the people who have gotten lost and died, that this would be just ripe for haunted catacombs. Sure, you would think. It's not. Well, crap. I know. It, 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 and it, it, it kind of surprised me, too. I mean, there are some reports that, you know, some strange things have happened down there. There there are some photographs where people believe that they have caught images of shadow people down there, which wouldn't be too surprising. This seems like a perfect environment for some shadow people to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's reports of cult rituals taking place down there. So, you know, there's an idea that all of these strange and ritualistic things that have gone on because you could become so secluded and nobody know that you're down there or what you're doing. Right. And we kind of know that creates, you know, a, a, a cult activity can create energy like that. Yeah. So is it possible that, you know, something was summoned to the catacombs or that there's a demonic entity that was invited in there or they've opened a portal or something. But you're not hearing the routine stories of people running into these, you know, entities or or people just constantly going missing or being found dead or anything like that to make you think that. Yeah, this place is truly haunted. Because like I said, the people that spend the most time down there don't believe it. Don't don't believe there's anything to be afraid of down there at all that's paranormal. Right. And you would, just to go as simply as there are six to seven million people buried down there. Yeah. You would think one of those people might be a little PO'd. That's right. and, And take it out on visitors. Yeah. But, you know... That's if you believe the idea that a spirit is somehow attached to their earthly body. Right, right. And that moving their bones is going to somehow move their presence. And they're not attached to the event that took their life or something else that was, um, you know, significant in history that would have kept them in that in that area. That's true. Not necessarily where their bones were. True, true. So, um so even with all the bones that were there, I would be more concerned about one person that might have died in the tunnels. Philibert, for example. True, true. 
True. You know, someone that, that died or was murdered or something like that in the tunnels, then that would give me more cause for alarm than the fact that there's the remains of all these people that were previously buried somewhere else. Right. So basically you're saying you should probably be more wary of the living than the dead Absolutely. in this situation. Absolutely. Because there's there's been known illegal activity to go on that's not illegal because it's in the catacombs. You know, it's taking place in the catacombs because you can literally get down there and just disappear. Right. So it would be illegal above ground, too. That's right. But if you want to keep something secret, there you go. Right. You know, we got a perfect place to be able to get somewhere and nobody's going to know what we're up to. Right. You know, unless you goof around up on the surface and let somebody in on it. Sure. So, um, but you don't, don't think that, that Adam and I were going to discuss all this and not touch on the most famous story. Which is, which is the, the story of the found footage from the Paris catacombs. Now, this is the most mysterious story surrounding the catacombs. It has been investigated for years, and there's still no definitive answer. So, just in case you, you've not ever looked at this or heard of this, you may not even know that the Paris catacombs existed. A camcorder was found by some urban explorers deep in the tunnels, and it contained video of an unnamed explorer on a solo expedition in the catacombs. Now, the man doesn't introduce himself. In fact, he doesn't speak at all. Most of the footage is pretty mundane, 40 minutes of him walking and exploring. Now, he appears to be following painted arrows deeper into the maze, stopping to inspect bones on, along the way, even picking up a skull cap. Now, I, you know, that... That may tempt fate. I mean, yeah, that may have pushed even, it over. Even the Adam, you know, our bone, our bone loving <laughs> co-host. I don't think you're going to just randomly pick up a skull. No, of a human being. No, even if I found it out in the woods and didn't find it in a, a, a burial tomb, mm-hmm. if it's human, I'm going to leave it alone because that's not a good omen. That that's doesn't right. doesn't bring good things. Yeah. You know, I mean, if if you just think about it, if you're at the surface, you're walking around in the park and you find a human skull, you don't just pick it up. No. You know. And now now you're actually in you're in a burial ground in there. Don't don't pick up stuff. What are you doing? You're tempting fate here. I mean, this that's bad juju right there. Yep. Picking up somebody's skull, leave it alone. Might as well go into someone's mausoleum yeah. and just start poke, stirring. Poke around on them. Yeah, stir it with a big cauldron spoon <laughs> or something. But the man finally comes upon an image of a spread-eagled human figure painted on a wall. Now, it's at this point that the man's movements begin to become more hurried to the point of running. Now, you hear his rapid breathing and it increased cadence of his footsteps, and then suddenly the camera drops. It's still recording, and you can hear the man running further down the tunnel. Now, it's unknown if the man made it out alive, but no missing person reports have been linked to this particular man, and it's unlikely that anyone would be that deep in the tunnels and find their way out in the dark. 
Right. Okay. Because he wasn't using a flashlight. He was just using was the using light, the on, light his on his camera. Yeah. So that appeared to be his only source of light. Now, when these explorers found the camera, the footage was sent to an independent filmmaker named Francis Freeland. Now, Freeland would later use the footage in 2000 for an episode of Scariest Places on Earth. Now, Freeland attempts to trace the path of the unknown explorer, but they don't find any more evidence. Right. Okay, so there's a lot of questions that come up about this. And so we purposefully left this open so Adam and I could kind of discuss this back and forth. So just to sum up, we we don't know what year the video was found. Now, there are some you, – you can find a few references that it was 1993, but I can't verify that. Yeah, there's no way that we were able to find a date on right. that. And so not only do we not know when it was found, we don't really know when Freeland got his hands on it. Right. But the fact that he had his hands on it and that he had reviewed it, and he has been interviewed countless times about this, you know, not just by, you know, local uh, authorities and uh, the media. I mean, he—he's—I mean, he's appeared on, you know, like I said, it was on scariest places on earth. Um, you know, he has since appeared on at least one, probably two um, shows with Zach Bagans. You know, with a direct interview with just him. Ask him about the footage, and you know he really believes that it's legit, or at least he's selling it that he it's really legitimate. But the question is, how in the world would this really happen and be legit? Right. You know, I mean, there's a lot of found footage stuff out there, and it, yeah, it's creepy, but the majority of it you look at and you're just going this is just a well-played hoax or it's just for fun. You know, Hey, you know, we do this and it really is spooky and creepy and we'll give it a fancy backstory. It's all Blair witch project stuff yep, to me. Exactly. One of the, one of the things that makes me think it's fake found footage is the fact that he doesn't speak the whole time because, you know, I, I know I'm not the only person that does it, but if you're videoing something and you're doing it for posterity's sake or whatever, you're going to talk about things. You're going to point out stuff and kind of narrate the the video as you go. You know, if you're if you're walking down there and you come up on the the painted um, arrows, and you know that is a thing that people do. They'll paint arrows to kind of direct them and other people as to which direction to go, you would narrate something like, okay, I'm following these blue arrows. So I'm going to go here. And then the next blue arrow, I'm going to turn and done, you know, and that's just human nature basically to do that. And if you're not doing that, it seems like you're trying to create an atmosphere of fear and, and tension exactly. and stuff. So, to me, I don't put much stock in that found footage as it being legit. Yeah. As cheesy as it may sound, if if I'm if I'm doing this, I'm I'm gonna say the words, look, 
if you find this camera and you don't find me, you know, this is where I am and this is what I'm doing. And this is the date. And, this, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to say that, you know, if, if for no other reason, then it just feels like I should say it. You right. Know? Right. Just because there's a chance. It brings up a lot of questions to me. Number one, why in the world would he go at this alone? Right. You know, if it was really, truly an, an expedition to, to see how far can I get? What can I find? What can I document that's down there? What can I see that somebody else has not already seen? Mm-hmm. Why not take more people? Right. Why not be as safe as you possibly can? Why go about this in such a manner that you, you're, you're going to go at it alone. And on top of that, it, it was obviously not for any kind of public publicity for him because he doesn't even show his face. He doesn't talk. Right. Doesn't tell you who he is. If he was looking to make some money off of this, you would think he'd want everybody to know who he was. Right. And you know, then to drop your only light source. Right. You know, it's like, okay, even if you were freaked out and, and you were becoming mentally unstable because of fear. Yeah. That would make you hold on to that light source even more. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't just throw down your only source of light and take off running deeper into the darkness. So just the very ending of it, I kind of go, well, that's too movie-esque for me to sure. believe. Yeah. Now, we could be way off base. Oh, you yeah. Know, we, we could... Mm. There are some explanations as to why that might have happened and it and it not being a hoax. I mean, fear, of course, as Adam said, can cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. But so can hypothermia. That's true. You know. Start so, messing with your brain. That's right. And, you know, we, we've already kind of talked about the fact that how deep you are under underground, you know, the at least in my in my mind you're going to you're going to run into the possibility of getting into some areas where you you're not necessarily worried about mold and that kind of stuff but there's these are caves that have been there for centuries there's a good chance there's one down there that's you know a pocket of gas or right right you know something that's toxic you know that if you're exposed to could start to make you really that's true you know hallucinate you know things like that or you get into an area where the oxygen is not as available as it would need to be and you know hypoxia sets in and then you really start thinking weird stuff is happening to you right and that you have to run and you have to get away something's chasing you right the only argument i would have to that at all would be the people that found the camera didn't experience anything like that. No, it's true. So if it were just that there wasn't enough air down there in that. Now I know, you know, a pocket of gas can disperse, mm-hmm. you know, but if it were just that there wasn't enough air down there, wouldn't the people who found the camera have experienced the same thing? Yeah. yeah you would you think know? so. So, you know, you would think that perhaps that would be still void of oxygen when they got down there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just shocked the whole thing that there's not any more K2 
cases of paranormal activity or anything really going on down there. Because when you hear of catacombs and you hear people that speak of the Paris catacombs, they always push it as something that's really haunted. But in all the research that Matt and I did, we couldn't really find much. Yeah. Scary, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but scary for legitimate reason. Right. You know, it's dangerous. Right. You know, there's bones. It's creepy. It's dark, you know. But one thing that I thought was strange, too, is it It would make sense that if you, you found something like this, you would take it to the authorities. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They sent it to a, a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker. And... I don't know. Maybe they had a maybe they had a good reason for that, but those two people are not named. Right. You know, they have not been interviewed, so we're not really sure. I mean, in reality, it could have been Freeland himself that did this. Yep. The evidence keeps stacking up to the fact that it's a, a false piece of footage that it was manufactured for a scare or for a movie. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. But that you know. We'll kind of we'll kind of go into what we normally do and go. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know what? How do you guys feel about the catacombs? Would you take a tour of it, and would you want to take the more illegal side of the tour? Yeah. Um. You know, what do you guys think about the found footage? Do you think it's legit, or do you think it's a hoax, kind of like Matt and I think it is? Yeah. And um, yeah, I'd be interested to know who would be uh, who'd be willing to go down there. I mean, you can spend the night down there, right? Yeah, pretty creepy. I'm not going. No, don't invite me. There, you, there's no chance of ghosts, so I'm not going to hang out in a place like That's that right. just for nothing. <laughs> That's right. So okay, so um, we hope you enjoyed uh, Adam and I's discussion about the non-haunted Paris catacombs, <laughs> but. It's it's still super creepy, and it's got such a rich history and some really unique things that we felt like th- this was this would make up for a really good show. It's still um, a graveyard topic. It certainly is a graveyard topic. So, um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, please go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com, and on the website— uh, you can listen to the show. You can find out some more information about Adam and myself. Uh, you can find links to buy our merchandise, and you can become a patron. Um, go and rate and review us on iTunes. I know it's like we're beating a dead horse, but that gets us up in the rankings, and it allows people to find us easier. So by rating and review us, you're inviting more people into the graveyard. So check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.